Autism now affects 1 in 88 children, in which 1 in 54 boys, and the prevalence figures are growing daily. Autism is the fastest growing serious developmental condition in the United States that costs a family $60,000 a year on average, while the cause receives less than 5% of the research funding of many less prevalent childhood diseases. As to date, there is no medical detection or cure for autism. Help us at the Jayzo Modcast Network change that as April is National Autism Awareness Month. We ask all of you to join us this month in honoring the boys and girls who live with this condition each and every day of their lives, in donating to a charity centered around researching and possibly finding a cure. Any amount is welcomed because chances are you personally know someone directly affected with autism. Let's come together and make a change. Did you know that this podcast is a part of the Jayzo Modcast Podcast Network? Chances are, if you enjoy this show, you'll find other great podcasts on the network, too. The Jayzo Modcast Network offers you a choice of shows seven days a week, starting with Monday. Join Rebecca C. Lofgren, Aaron Illick, and David K. Montoya in Seeing Red. The trio dive deep down the rabbit hole each week with a combination of geek and weird news. Then on Tuesdays, join the boys from the Great White North, Mike Lutz, Rob Bellamy, and Jason Beckard in the movie Madhouse as they bring you everything Hollywood and more. On Wednesdays, Reaper Rick's Tree Frog Expose Cafe, where he crosses the line of limits as he gives us news that is unforgettable and personal views that you'll definitely remember as well. Spend Thursdays with Jim Bennett and Nick McKelvey as they join forces in American Fat Ass Podcast to talk about various topics from news, sports, to their personal lives, all the while with a humorous slant in an unapologetic fashion. Fridays, Rob Bellamy is joined with Mike Lutz as they jump in the Wayback Machine to explore the archives of the JZO Modcast to give you three hours of audio entertainment in Flashback Fridays. Saturdays, join JZO Modcast founder David K. Montoya as he explores the world for a single of Who's the Boss? Then Sundays, finish the week with What We Think with hosts S. Sadie Burbank and David K. Montoya as they tell us exactly what they think about pop culture, celebrities, and the world at large with a ton of vulgarity mixed in for good measure. The JZO Modcast Podcast Network. We've got what you want seven days a week for free. Listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher or like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And don't forget to check us out at jazelmon.com slash jazelmodcast. And now enjoy this free Jason Modcast show.
Welcome back, everyone. I'm River Rick, and this is the Tree Frog Exposé Cafe. I'm still sick this week. Still quite sick, actually. I may be making a lot of weird noises. I may have to jump up and disappear for a few minutes. <coughs> information has come to light and I thought I needed to uh, go ahead and uh, podcast today regardless of how foul I feel <clears throat> so we're gonna go back and uh, talk some more about conspiracy theories and specifically the uh, Asia flight 370 which after Nearly two months is still missing, and after nearly two months, they have not found anything to indicate that plane crashed. But it's missing, and no one knows where it is. So, for a conspiracy theory. One needs people, and uh, so many things happened with this uh, airplane that should not have happened. That, 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 that happened badly, uh, but we do have information. <coughs> so I'm going to go without that. Going to go over some things, and we're going to actually uh, build upon potential ideas. All right, so we know that flight three seventy left Guam. When they, when the pilot said good night to uh, Malaysia air traffic control, that was it. That was all they heard. Uh, the plane was supposed to have been handed over to uh, Vietnamese air traffic control at that point, but never. That never happened. Within two minutes, within two minutes of pilots or one of the pilots saying goodnight to uh, Malaysia traffic control, uh, the plane took a sharp left. Uh, <clears throat> that may not seem important, but ordinarily. Passenger jet, especially large passenger jet, <laughs> doesn't do anything sharply. If it's going to make a, a turn, it makes a banking turn. And, uh, it takes some time and distance to do that because a sharp turn 
is just not good for saying or the passengers. Not only did the plane make a sharp left turn, but all the transponders went out immediately. Gone. And they never they never came back on again. <coughs> so many, many potential theories have been expounded upon why the uh, transponders went out and why sharp turn was made back toward Malaysia airspace. If, for instance, there had been a fire, an electrical fire, uh, transponders would have been turned off until at least the, uh, the location of the fire was discovered and hopefully put out. <coughs> A sharp turn back toward Malaysian airspace would indicate something was wrong, okay? Um, for the transponders to go out and the sharp turn to occur within seconds of each other would indicate, yes, that something bad had happened. Something bad, but we don't know what, it, what that was. Because after the turn, and the transponders went dark. The plane continued to fly at a level altitude and a constant speed, as if nothing had happened. So, ordinarily, if something bad had happened, the plane would have turned around and headed back toward the nearest airport to uh, land again and make sure that whatever happened wasn't terrible. But that didn't happen either. The plane continued on through Malaysian airspace out into the ocean on the other side and just continued to fly going totally the wrong direction since it was heading for Beijing. Initially, now it was heading for nowhere out over the southern Indian Ocean. Now, that night at the uh, Malaysia Tower, airspace tower, whatever, whatever you call it, there was a young man who was pretty much inexperienced. And, well, he could see. Malaysia flight, flight 370 on, uh, on radar. It was not responding to any uh, calls, and it was not communicating. It was, there was no communication at all. Now, ordinarily, if this had taken place uh, over the United States or Australia or even China, for that matter, um, more than likely, they would have sent up some 
fighter jets to check out the situation and find out why this plane was flying around um, technically in the dark. No transponders, no communication, no voice, nothing. But that did not happen with Malaysia. So the plane kept going south, basically, until it stopped going. So, why, why did that happen? So anyway, what the hell happened? Well, nobody knows. Absolutely nobody knows. However, we can, and I have, extrapolated from the information that is available, uh, I might have uh, extrapolated way off the norm here, but you know it, it's no worse than uh, you know plane running into a black hole or being sucked down by a zombie plane or some other bullshit. So all we're going to do here is. Experiment a little bit, okay? I'm going to take what we know happened and what could have happened, put them together and see maybe what happened. Alright? Here we go. So, <clears throat> we know that most of the passengers on board the plane were Chinese. Uh, businessmen, tourists, whatever, headed home from Kuala Lumpur uh, to China. Uh, China, of course, is a uh, growing business country. Uh, many businesses are uh, expanding there in China, and many businessmen are seeking uh, capital for their businesses. So let's assume, let us assume that someone, a Chinese businessman, had business in Kuala Lumpur, where he went down and picked up capital for his business. And he picked up several million dollars worth of diamonds, let's say. Uh, diamonds are easy to transport. Uh, you can get a lot of diamonds in a small container, and they're worth a lot of money. So, if he had three or four million dollars in diamonds, let's say, they would take up a very small amount of space, and if he could uh, somehow get them on the plane without uh, setting off a alarm system or something, say he has a metal 
jug or uh, uh, you know one of those uh, uh, fifth or what do you call them, pint things you stick in your hip pocket or flask. There you go. Anyway, you could put a lot of diamonds in a small a small area, and you could take these back to China and make money on the sale. Okay, so this guy has diamonds. Right, we know that two Iranian, uh, well, two guys from Irania, Irania, two guys from Iran, hello, two guys from Iran boarded the plane with forged passports in Kuala Lumpur. Why did they do that? What was the point of their forged passports? Well, we don't know. We don't know. However, we're going to use them <clears throat> as bad guys in this, this scenario. All right, so here we are. We got a plane full of people took off from Kuala Lumpur, crosses out of Malaysia airspace and suddenly everything goes to shit. Why did that happen? Well, let's just assume again that the our friends, the Iranians, hijacked the airplane, okay? Not that big a stretch. Um, turn the plane around and had it fly into the uh, ocean, the southern, uh, what do you call it there, down there, the Indian Ocean. Just had it flying at 35,000 feet, 38,000 feet. Um, and they were fine with that, okay. Um, unfortunately, they would have to kill the pilot and the co-pilot because they would not want anyone to be able to notify the authorities and let them know what was happening. Uh, we can assume that the uh, radio was shot up or busted up or whatever, so you got two dead pilots and no way of communication with the ground. <clears throat> well, then the guys have to track down the uh, Chinese businessman and have him give up the diamonds, but they've got hours in which to do this, so I'm sure they would be able to handle that without too much difficulty. Uh, diamonds were probably insured anyway, so he didn't he didn't care. So they divide up the diamonds, put them each into two pouches. They duct tape the pouches to the, their inner thighs, okay? Uh, in the meantime, the plane is still flying south, and the Iranians are just about ready to make their departure. So here's where things might become a little bit weird, but all in all, it's no weirder or Anything else has gone on with this whole story so far? So, 
using GPS, the Iranians have been tracking a trawler uh, southern Indian Ocean, which is you know, completely normal. I mean, there are fishing ships out there, ships that fish. <coughs> so, when they get to the point where the uh, ship is uh, available to them, let's say, uh, they drop the plane down to 8,000 feet in a gentle glide. <coughs> And then they then they dump the excess fuel, which uh, planes do all the time when they're uh, going to be you know, crash landing or whatever. Um, they announce to the passengers that the plane will be landing in 20 minutes. They uh, Put the plane in a gentle glide and then they bail out. <clears throat> Zodiacs have been launched from the trawler to pick up the Uranians, uh, which they do. The ship, I mean, the airplane continues on a gentle glide down toward the ocean. Until it runs out of gas and then hits the water. And now a word from our sponsors. Before 1971, a young S. Sadie Burbank could only imagine a simple American life as a loving wife and mother. That was her goal when she first married in 1959 at the age of 18. But with the wild social revolution of the 1960s, Burbank's idea of a perfect life would quickly change as she left behind her family to begin a new existence of her own. Her journey would find her on a plane headed toward her new lover, Steve, who was halfway across the world, waiting her arrival in a small bush camp in the country of Liberia. Once there, Sadie is greeted with a fascinating, strange world and plunges herself into the exotic land of the bush. But less than six months later, Sadie would realize all was not as it seemed, and Steve was not the man she fell in love with. Burbank found herself desperately seeking escape from the camp and her lover as she raced back to Roberts Field Airport, literally running for her life. Based on an unbelievably true story by S. Sadie Burbank, Red Hills, Green Vines, and Dried Monkey Meat for Dinner is a manuscript of Burbank's adventurous and deadly experience during a time filled with sex, drugs, and murder. Now available in paperback and hardback. For more information, log into www.redhills.us. Looking for a new book, comic, or apparel from your favorite MythWorks or independent creators? Then you're in the right place. Introducing the all-new redesigned MythMart store. Now bigger, badder, better. Sign up and become a member and receive 10-50% to 50 off on selected items. Get the all-new T-50 
Terry D. Shearer's Bloody Hell t-shirt, or non-members can pick up one of our e-books for only $4.95. Or go into the past and relive the 90s with MythWorks Comics Classics for $3.99. The new MythMart. Bigger, badder, better. Visit MythMart at www.mythworks.com slash MythMart. Or find us on Facebook for extra savings. Do you own a business or have an item you want to sling? Do you want a chance to reach potential customers? Do you want to make some extra cash? Then here's your chance. For $50, you can have a one to two minute commercial featured on each of our shows for an entire month. With six shows a week, that's only $2.09 per podcast. Plus, for an extra 10 bucks, your item will be placed into MythMart. So sit back and relax as they handle all stages of transactions. Contact our ad department at info at jazelmon.com. So, big question is if a airplane crashes in the ocean and there's no one there to hear it, does it actually make a noise? Matters not at this point, I suppose. The Iranians are picked up by the trawler and the trawler heads off to whatever port it needs to uh, stop off at. Stop off to wherever they're going. <clears throat> and in case anyone uh, is curious, Iran is still trying to uh, get their nuclear productivity up to where they want it. And of course, a few million dollars in diamonds wouldn't hurt. And it's just, it's just a. Uh, it's just a thought. Couldn't be any worse than uh, some of the other theories that are out there. So we have everything is explained basically. You know, plane goes down. Now we know why. Potentially. In the meantime. Um, the surface search of the ocean has been called off because after two months, <clears throat> at this point, if there is any debris or was ever any debris, it has either sunk into the ocean or has drifted so far away from the actual, uh, from the initial crash site that it would be almost impossible to figure out where that site was. What they are still doing, however, is working on locating <coughs> the black boxes, which they 
believe they heard pinging a month ago. And so now the search has moved underwater. And they're looking in the area, the general area, where the pings were heard, although the pings were heard at three varying distances from each other. You'd think that it might have been a little bit closer, but regardless, uh, I think they only have one or two uh, really good pinger hunters down there underwater looking for wreckage at this point. But um, the new search should run, or this aspect of the new search should run $56 million. And the government of uh, Malaysia has said that they will continue to search until they find something, some answer. So, there you go. <clears throat> that would be the update as far as information goes at this point, anyway. But... Well, we never, we may know, we may never know, may, 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 may never know what happened to it, because they may never find it, but someday, perhaps, yes, yes. Of course, conspiracy theories are much more interesting when they've had a chance to age and ferment. Um, in 1307, the King of France decided to arrest and disband the Knights Templar because he owed them a whole bunch of money and he didn't want to pay them back. So, on October... Well, on Friday the 13th, in October of that year, he had his men arrest as many of the Knight Templar leaders as they could get hold of and seize their property. <clears throat> he also commanded his people to torture the Knights Templar and obtain the confessions regarding treason and blasphemy so that the crown could confiscate all of their holdings and he could get back some of the money that uh, he owed them. Uh, he also asked neighboring countries to participate in this as well, but uh, Spain, Portugal, and several smaller countries did not. <clears throat> The Knights Templar have been around for a long time, and they had a lot of friends, so they were forewarned. At least everywhere except France, 
and they were able to pretty much get away. Although in France, they captured, tortured, and killed a number of high-ranking officials. But when the uh, king's men went down to the docks to seize the Templar treasure boats, <clears throat> treasure fleet, as it was called, that had some 18 ships loaded with treasure. When they got there the next morning, all the ships were gone disappeared and were never seen or heard from again. Um, actually, nobody knows where they went. But uh, the general consensus is they went north and uh, to Scotland and uh, the uh, uh, Norwegian lands, Norwegian lands. Um, and after being in Scotland for a few years, they uh, took some of their treasure and headed west. And those are my birds. Say hello. Um, so they knew that there was land out west. And they knew that uh, it was pretty much open land. And they, the Templars were hoping to set up their own religion and uh, their lives again in America. And this is still, don't forget, in the 1300s. So America had not even been discovered yet, according to European uh, history. But, turns out that since Portugal was one of the countries which uh, did not arrest the Templars in 1492, when uh, Portugal sent Christopher Columbus west to try to find a uh, bridge to the New World, they believe that they sent Templar navigators with them. And all three of his ships, all three of Christopher's ships, emblazoned the red Templar cross on their sails. Uh, of course, by 1492, Templars fucking well knew where America was because they'd already been there for a hundred years or more. <coughs> However, were they, did they really get there? Well, turns out, in case any of you were paying attention a year or so ago, and I, apparently, as I think it's still on, there's, there's a, a show on Discovery called America Unearthed, wherein uh, Scott Walter, who is a forensic geologist, travels all over America looking for signs that Europeans were in the Americas long before Columbus got here. Uh, well, that sounds like a 
far-fetched scheme, he's actually come across a number of places, especially along the East Coast, where it would appear that Templars, if not somebody else, had arrived and set up shop along the coastline and in and in the interior. <coughs> He's written several books on, on the subject. And he has discovered at least one uh, curious item uh, called the Hooked X uh, in the uh, rune writings of the, the period. And he's researched this and he feels that uh, the Templars may have brought Holy Grail to America. Now, uh, the Templars originally uh, were guardians, basically, of uh, Jerusalem, and they, they would protect pilgrims who were uh, going to Jerusalem to uh, pray, repent, whatever they did there. But they spent a lot of time uh, digging around, being archaeologists. And, of course, no one knows what they found while they were doing all this digging under, uh, uh, well, under a lot of the famous religious sites there in Jerusalem. But they brought back an enormous amount of stuff with them from Jerusalem. And when they returned from the Crusades, they became even more powerful. They became businessmen and bankers, and they owned a good portion of Europe by the time uh, uh, they were disbanded in 1307. I mean, they had 18 fucking giant ships full of treasure. That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> and they were smart enough not to keep the treasure on land, had them on ships ready to go at a moment's notice and they when they found out they needed to go they went um, at any rate there are a number of places uh, in the United States where Templars were thought to have lived and brought treasure with them among them is uh, the uh, Money Pit on Oak Island in Nova Scotia. I'm sure many of you have heard about that, where people keep digging down into this hole in the ground and uh, that keeps filling up with water. But there are other places too. And <clears throat> The Hooked X is uh, prominent in a number of these areas. And 
Walter believes the hooked axe is a symbol for the Holy Grail. Now, the axe rune itself stands for gift, but uh, more so than that, it stands for sacrifice, sacred marriage, it governs sex magic, mystical unions, and sacred and the sacred order of marriage. <clears throat> what better uh, rune to uh, signify? Um, holy crap! It's gone. There's just this blank space in my head. Holy Grail! Bang! There it is. Okay, back on track here. Yes, indeed. What better rune to indicate the Holy Grail? Um, many people believe that when uh, Christmas, the word Christmas is abbreviated with Xmas, you know, the X is the uh, X rune, Gabo. But, uh, <clears throat> in the hooked axe, there is a tiny hook at the upper right branch of the room. And Walter believes that when using that hooked axe, the Templars and anyone else who knew about the Holy Grail and what it stood for was indicating that that's that, that they knew that I was I was they were insiders basically in what was going on. Um, one of the largest pieces of knowledge, I guess, that has ever ever been found in the United States was. Uh, in the bay, I can't remember the name of it now, it doesn't really matter because it's gone, uh, uh, wrote, up Rhode Island, uh, when, when the, the, this large, heavy, heavy stone was initially carved with the, uh, the rune stone, I mean, with the rune marks on it, um, it was, uh, above the waterline. But over the over hundreds of years, uh, it was only visible at low tide, and uh, we've seen it on on TV, on America on Earth, and other television shows like that. So we know it existed. But last year, somebody went out there with great big earth moving equipment and ripped this fucking rock out of the ground and took it away, stole it, ripped it off. It's gone, disappeared. And, and you know, no one knows who did it or why, but... <coughs> the conspiracy theories abound, let's say, uh, because it was such an important piece of uh, work and it was an important piece of history to indicate that 
yes, the Templars probably had arrived there. They marked the rock, so others who followed after them would know that they were there. And they moved down the coast. There are other places along the coast where uh, things have been left, built, carvings have been made that are almost exclusively Templar. At any rate, <coughs> this is cool. I mean, if you are a history nut like, like myself, and I mean, I, I have no the religious aspect of this has no bearing on it, as far as I'm concerned. You know, I don't care whether the Holy Grail means that Christ was a, was a father, that he had children, that it was the last cup that he used at the Last Supper or whatever. The point is, it's history, and it could explain a lot about you know, what's going on in the world today. And we know so little about our own our own history because well, let's face it, the people who are in charge make the history and if they don't want you to know shit, you don't know shit. But <clears throat> uh, I unfortunately don't have access to uh, cable TV anymore. So anyway, if anyone's out there watching and you, know, you come across America Unearthed, check out an issue or two. Jesus Christ, excuse me. Check out an issue or two for me. Because we are going to uh, talk about this some more. This is something I find really, really, really fascinating. And it, it has never been covered well in in American history. I don't know why people don't want to admit that, well, yeah, okay, you know, 300 years before, or 100 years before Columbus got here, the Templars were here and they built shit and they, uh, they hid shit and they were doing all kinds of shit all over the place. I think it's important that we know that. So I'm going to talk about it some more. As soon as I get my breath back, <coughs> which will probably be next week, okay? Okay. Julio, um, thanks again for listening. I'm glad that I'm still able to talk a little bit. Uh, we will continue this next time. Remember, the hook of decks must mean something. Good night, everyone.